0: Major funding for Telehell is provided by Dave's Archives. If you're looking for retro commercials from the 50s all the way up to the 90s and possibly some points beyond in the future, turn to Dave's Archives. Also home to the TGIF live stream on Friday nights, go to davesarchives.com. By Retrocirc on YouTube. Home to the Off Duty Mind Players and all those off-air commercials that he likes to put up so much from the 80s and 90s. Go to YouTube and type in RetroCirc, spelt with a Q at the end. And by the continuing financial support of our patrons at patreon.com slash including Mr. Cheeseball, Rick Colacki Jr., Robert Marquez, Chris Michaud, Meredith Morrissey, and Neil Weinstein. Thank you.
1: Good evening, Certain podcast streamers feel it would be a little unkind to present this show without a friendly word of warning. What we're about to unfold is Telehell's second annual charity episode, an episode that has sought to raise money for the National Alliance on Mental Illness, or NAMI for short. By simply clicking on this link or downloading this episode over the next two weeks, you will have helped us in donating $1 per download to this worthy organization, up to a maximum of $300 without reckoning upon God. If you manage to stay through the show, I think it will thrill you. It may shock you. It might even horrify you. So if any of you feel that you don't care that you've passively donated to a charity just by clicking the link, now's your chance to... Well, we warn you...
0: John Hughes, arguably one of the most prolific movie makers of the 1980s, penning stories that would appeal to the disaffected youth of the era by using words and situations that they could easily understand. It is so
1: important for you to belong to something at that age as you're trying to identify yourself. Who am I? Where do I fit? How do I belong in all this? That pressure
0: to belong is so enormous. So successful were his big screen efforts that it only seemed like a matter of time until he wanted to give the small screen a try. Thing is, Hughes was an artist, an auteur, a man who made his movies for the love of making them, and to go for the quick buck would probably be the last thing he would ever do. Fortunately to our knowledge, even though he created the characters in question, Hughes would have absolutely nothing to do with today's subject. And who could blame him? Monday, it's a groundbreaking Ferris Bueller. Thanks, Ferris. And the earth moves for everyone. No. Even Principal Rooney? Ah! a rocking good time with Ferris Bueller on NBC Monday.
1: And now, don't touch that dial. This is Hell.
0: As we've stated back in episode 51, 1990 was an unusual year for television. Aside from the already established hits from the previous decade, TV in 1990 had a unique sheen glossed over it, partly stemming from the fact that this was the start of the final decade of the 20th century, and at the time to be hip, modern, and up-to-date, seemed a lot more pressing than previous decades. The launch of the Fox network three years earlier was seen as a bit of a head start to all of that thanks to the irreverent, untraditional, and in no way like the big three broadcast network's programming that appealed to people that seemed to be ignored by everybody else. That of Generation X. Welcome to the 90s. And welcome to a way to explore new horizons. Upon realizing that maybe Whitney Houston was right all along about children being the future, TV executives were none too eager to try and appeal harder than ever before to a young crowd of viewers. And some of those shows that premiered that year were proof of that. that The material was hip. The colors were bright, and the ad revenue from these shows had the potential of being sizable, even more so if the series in question was based on something that was already popular to begin with. 1990 was also the year that a lot of things that were popular in movie theaters seemed destined and doomed to get the small screen treatment. According to a 1990 critique by Bill Carter of the New York Times, The problem is, by episode two, the show is off and over. The real reason the networks are attracted to movies as a premise for a series is that they're a pre-sold concept. As networks face much competition from so many channels, pre-sold concepts carry a lot of appeal. End quote. The article goes on to mention a number of shows that, while we wish they were viable candidates around here, the lack of available footage seems to prevent us from ever doing so. So for now, let's take a look at one of the more notorious movie-to-TV flops that 1990 had to offer us. Life moves pretty fast. You don't stop and look around once in a while, you could miss it. I don't like to use words like define the generation lightly, But Ferris Bueller's Day Off certainly did that for Generation X and maybe some fringe millennials, present company included. The tale of how then 23-year-old Matthew Broderick managed to pass for a high school senior and then skip school with his girlfriend and his best friend is arguably one of the late John Hughes' best works of film. The movie itself came together in one of the most under-the-radar ways you could think of when it came to making movies. Hughes, reportedly, wrote the screenplay to the movie in less than a week in 1985 in an effort to beat a looming writer's strike that year. The movie would not only be a staple for Generation Xers, but it would also be one of Hughes' many love letters to his native Chicago. The biggest surprise of all was the fact that the movie wound up making $70 million when the production cost only a mere $5 million to make, and that's in 1986 money. In short, the movie became the surprise sleeper hit of 1986. And with moments like these, it's pretty easy to see why. Bueller. Bueller. Ferris Bueller.
2: Bueller. Pardon my French, but you're an asshole! Bueller. What'd I do? You killed the car. Bueller. You're Abe Froman. That's right,
1: I'm Abe Froman. The sausage king of Chicago. Bueller. This is ridiculous, okay? I'll
0: go, I'll go, I'll go, I'll go, I'll go with, I'll go.
1: Bueller. There's
2: nothing you can't handle. I can't handle anything. School, parents, the future, Ferris can do anything.
0: So to circle back to the original point, how do we get from a surprise generation-defining hit of 1986 to one of the many movies that got mutated for television four years later? This is where a writer-producer named John Messias comes in. Still another in a long line of creatives that deserve a lot more recognition, Messias got his start by being a production assistant on a number of low-budget movies in the mid-1970s, eventually segueing himself into television, where he would find himself on the payroll of a company that used a little kitty cat as its logo. A joint venture between Mary Tyler Moore and her then-husband-slash-future NBC chairman, Grant Tinker, MTM Productions would be a busy production house during the 70s and 80s, developing some of the best known sitcoms and dramas of that era. Two of which, Messias, found himself working on. 1979's The White Shadow, and perhaps more significantly, Saint Elsewhere. Where not only he'd be a developer of the show, he would wind up winning two Emmy Awards for his work and writing on it. Much later in his career, he would go on to create melodramas like Touched by an Angel and Providence. But before any of that would happen, we need to return Turn to 1990, where a certain TV network is officially riding high after shaking off years of missteps. NBC, oh, NBC. NBC's comeback after being left for dead in the 1970s was officially in full swing, thanks to Brandon Tartikoff writing the wrongs that our patron saint, Fred Silverman, left in his wake. The network will begin a long winning streak, thanks in part to a philosophy that Tartikoff instilled once he was in charge. First be best, then be first. A lesson that was implemented in St. Elsewhere's six year run. Never a rating smash, but it more than made up for it in critical acclaim and Emmy awards. In the development year of 1990, NBC brought back Masias to perform a simple task. Take this. Bueller. and turn it into a sitcom, even though it's been about four years since the original movie was released. To put it into perspective, one of the other series derived from a movie that NBC greenlit that season was a port of Ron Howard's movie, Parenthood. Come on, one big happy family. In a comedy about a job that takes patience, togetherness, and most of all, perfect timing. Not to be confused with the much better version that aired later in the 21st century. The movie and the TV series were only a year apart, but the show still failed because it simply didn't find an audience, or maybe because it was too soon to do it. Nevertheless, it was up to Messias to put his own spin on the world of Ferris Bueller. But just exactly how much creative liberties could be taken versus the original? Turns out, not that much. Especially since this was pretty much going to be non-canonical from the movie. Non-canonical! 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 Oh, sure, the characters of Ferris, his friend Cameron, his girlfriend Sloane, his mother, father, sister Jeannie, and Principal Rooney and his secretary Grace would all be there, but they would only be there in name only. But once again, we remind you that John Hughes has absolutely nothing to do with this production. Hell, if the producers of the show even paid him to use the Ferris Bueller name and characters, that's probably the full extent of the involvement but we don't know for sure. Despite those creative liberties, it shouldn't change the fact that the people they used to fill the original cast's shoes should at least be competent enough to do the job. And for what it's worth, the show did hire a durable stable of professionals. Starting with the kid who would fill Matthew Broderick's shoes, Charlie Schlatter. Ferris Bueller, star, that's a pretty big deal. Young you actually man. You said my name right, which is nice.
2: Oh, how do people usually say it? Oh, I don't know, Slatter, Slaughter. Sorry, yeah, just, you said it right. Charlie Slaughter. Yeah. Actually, now you didn't. You just said it differently. Adic-
0: <laughs> no, no, I said it right the first time. Did you? Now, see, I did it then to show how people <laughs> often will miss. It now. Right, right. Getting his big break in the Michael J. Fox movie Bright Lights, Big City, Slaughter has performed and is still performing in a number of largely comedic roles to this day when he's not lending his voice to various video games and cartoons. Next, Bueller's buddy, Cameron. When
2: Cameron was in Egypt's land,
0: let my Cameron go. Only instead of Alan Ruck, a mere 30 years before succession ever took place, he would be played by veteran character actor Brandon Douglas, who would eventually have a recurring role on Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman in a few years. Next, Ferris's girlfriend Sloane. Leather
1: jacket, white t-shirt, sweater vest. Devastatingly handsome.
0: In place of Mia Sarah in the original, she would be played by the spawn of a monkey. No, <laughs> no, 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 no. We did all that stuff last week. I, I mean the spawn of a monkey with two E's. Hey,
2: hey, we're the monkeys, and keep monkey
0: around. Amy Dolans, daughter of Mickey would have a pretty durable career both on and off camera for the better part of the past 30 years. As far as I know, she's largely retired from showbiz, but I'd be lying through my teeth if I didn't think she was, and still is pretty cute.
2: I'm Jeannie. You can call me Jen. (laughs) And how come I haven't seen you around here before? Oh, Scotty keeps me pretty bottled up.
0: (laughs) Of course, Ferris Bueller was nothing without his frequent foils. His pushover parents would be played by Christine Rose and Sam Freed, the latter of whom just completed a regular role on the last two seasons of Caden Alley as Jane Curtin's second husband. Principal Rooney would not be played by a guy with a questionable legal history, and would instead be played by another acting vet. And forgive me for spelling this name out, I'm a little dicey on the pronunciation, but Richard R-I-E-L-H-E, which I'm guessing is pronounced Riley. Known for a number of things in his almost 50-year career, but is probably best known for being this guy. I have people skills. I am good at dealing with people. Can't you understand it? What the hell is wrong with you people? And finally, Ferris's sister, Jeannie. Not unlike all the other young cast members, this role, too, had to be filled by a young ingenue. In this case, a 21-year-old native Californian by the name of Jennifer... A Nyston. A A Nyston? An I Stone? Well, whatever her name is, I'm sure she'll do just fine in this. And even if she doesn't, she's got her whole career ahead of her, I'm sure. As long as everybody else manages to capture what made the original Ferris Bueller great in the first place, we're gonna be okay. This is television.
2: This is real.
0: As I was saying, we're going to drive this Ferrari 250 GT California off a cliff. After the break. The 1966 E-Type Roadster. My father spent three years restoring this car. It is his love, it is his passion, it is his fault he didn't lock the garage.
2: Don't even think about it. Uh, hi dad. Been there, done that.
0: With LiftMaster powered by MyQ, know what's happening in your garage from anywhere. Kids. Due to the unique nature of this week's show, there's not going to be a premium episode this week on our Patreon page. And that's patreon.com slash podcast. In fact, we are currently dropping this episode simultaneously on our free feed because... We wanted this to be heard at the exact same time over there. Why? As a reminder, thanks to you clicking on this episode, you're going to be helping us support NAMI, the National Alliance on Mental Illness. And we want to tell you a little bit more about them before we continue. NAMI envisions a world where all people affected by mental illness live healthy, fulfilling lives, supported by a community that cares. They do this by providing advocacy, education, support, and public awareness so that all individuals and families affected by mental illness can build better lives. What started as a small group of families gathered around a kitchen table in 1979 has turned into the nation's leading voice on mental health. Today, they're an alliance of more than 600 local affiliates and 48 state organizations who work in your community to raise awareness and provide support and education that was not previously available to those in need. And they're committed to a non-discriminatory approach and to providing equal opportunity for employment, participation, and advancement in all programs and work sites. Between today, May 1st and May 15th, Every time this episode of Telehell gets downloaded, we in the underworld are going to donate $1 per click up to a maximum of $300 to NAMI's New York City chapter. If you want to go the extra mile and actually donate to them, you can still donate whatever you want directly to them at NAMINYCMetro.org. Once again, Metro.org And that's all one word. If you want to go still another mile, Go to our eBay page right now. Just look for the username, everythingmustgo8414. We've got a few items up for bids, including DVDs of subjects that we've covered this season on TeleHelp. 100% of all non-shipping profits will benefit NAMI NYC as well. Now, you got to be quick on this, though, because those auctions end at midnight Eastern time on Sunday, May 8th. That's one week from when we drop this show. We hope to have a final tally on our next show, May 15th. Other than that, we'll be sure to repeat everything before we're done here today. We thank you for clicking, and especially thank you for listening. And now, it's time for me to rip apart a terrible TV show. August 23rd, 1990. Tensions in the Persian Gulf continued to escalate for reasons that we're not qualified to talk about around here. East and West Germany announced formal plans for reunification, and at 8.30, 7.30 Central, everything you thought you knew about a teen movie classic was about to be put through a Cuisinart.
2: Life is one damn thing after another. Mark Twain said that after he changed his name. I'm Ferris Bueller. And I've never changed mine. Once they put me up on the big screen, it was out of the question. But come on, Matthew Broderick as me? No way. He's too white bread. Too, two dimensional. Too, too, tootsie. Goodbye. (laughs) This is television. This is real.
0: I'm sorry, this is not a part of the show. This is just a dramatization of what I wish NBC did once that first minute was transmitted to the viewing public. I mean, how do you diagram this first minute? The person portraying Ferris Bueller is telling viewers that the Ferris that they saw in the movie was fake, and that he, the kid with the chainsaw- THE CHAINSAW?! Is supposed to be the genuine article very bold way to start things off, but also very stupid and reckless, especially when you're trying to ride the wave of success from the very thing that you're trying to be an adaptation of. At least on other movie-to-TV adaptations, they don't do something like this. Like, you'd you'd never see Alan Alda chainsaw a cardboard cutout of Elliot Gould on the pilot episode of M.A.S.H. I don't care how non-canonical this is, if you're using the characters and their name, at the very least use a little dignity instead of entering the scene by falling downstairs. Oh and also, this declaration? This is television.
2: This is real.
0: DUDE!
1: You're a 16-year-old kid with a chainsaw in your room who's about to do more fourth wall breaking than Family Guy. Not even 60 seconds in, and the concept of real might as well get chainsawed too.
0: But as we often do, we might be getting ahead of ourselves as we meet the rest of the family. That's my sister,
2: Jeannie, overreacting. Thinks I get away with murder. Who's kidding who?
0: She has a car and a nose job. (laughs) That's nothing. I heard one of her best high school friends had a bit of a weight problem.
2: Shut up, the camera adds 10 pounds. (laughs) Uh, So how many cameras are actually on you?
0: And now let's meet the parents.
2: Dad, believes the world would be a better place if everybody started the day with a tummy full of oatmeal. Ferris, it's 10 after. Mom, loves me like a rock, but worries that I don't get enough sleep. I'm 16 years old and my life consists of two states of consciousness,
0: un and sub. You know who else worries about unsubs? The FBI's Criminal Profiling Division, which this kid seems to be on track to get himself into the files of.
2: Don't get me wrong, high school is important. It's the only way to keep track of friends. Especially my best buddy Cameron, who is the hypochondria. (laughs) Well, even the computer can't get the bugs out. But then there's Sloan, Ocean Park High's newest transfer. We're about to fall in love. Now all we have to
0: do is meet. Okay, stop, 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 Maybe we are supposed to pretend that the movie never existed, because it's just about the only way that any of this is going to make any sense to new viewers. Ferris Bueller and Sloan Peterson were a young, loving couple? <laughs> Fuck it, they haven't even met each other yet. Ferris is supposed to be graduating high school around the time of his day off? Ah, fuck that too. Because now he's just starting junior year. Kid sister Jeannie is a thorn in his side? Well, let's make her the older sister instead of the younger sister. As long as she still whines and complains about not getting her way. And who needs the windy city of Chicago when Santa Barbara, California is a more than fitting substitute? But with all these creative liberties being taken to the most extreme of extremes, I suppose it could be worse.
1: Okay, I get it. I get it. I totally get it. I've been given too many softball assignments down here lately, haven't I?
0: It's just about the only reason there is why I'm listening to a theme song that sounds like the byproduct of a Commodore 64 MIDI player if it was being extracted from a burning car wreck. Might as well add this to Quark in the 1974 Wonder Woman TV movie among the most annoying TV theme songs of all time. All the while, the real Ferris is putting Elaine Bennis to shame with his spastic dancing moves while turning the cast credits from white to yellow with a single touch of them. Some would say that this is because Ferris is the embodiment of being a golden child. I say it's because after three minutes of network airtime, he's a bit of a piss artist, if you know what I mean.
1: All that und- Just the first three minutes of the show,
0: and we have yet to crack the story. Ferris Puna.
2: What's that name again? I
0: forgot. Act one begins with the parents in this show proving to be just as useful as the parents in the movie. So, I can't say that the TV show did at least do one thing right. So, today's the first day of school. Give Ferris some fatherly advice. Never invade Russia in
2: the winter. Thanks, Dad.
0: I'll have to reschedule. I was wrong. Read your paper. Well, enough pearls of wisdom. Let's check in with the future star of the first leprechaun movie. You
2: can pull the wool over their eyes, but not mine. Let's set some ground rules here. I am a senior. You are a nothing. Got it. Good. When we're at school, pretend we are not related. Okay. Good. Keep a low profile. The lowest. Fine. ta And one more thing, Worm.
0: See you around campus. Because this wouldn't be a TV show without the use of flexible reality, Ferris rents himself a limo, presumably with his parents' credit card. This is television. This is real. Joining him in the limo is best buddy Cameron, which reminds me...
2: Call a limo! A nice stretch job with a TV and a bar!
0: And now that we got that joke out of the way... I hate high school. It's a disease-ridden petri dish.
1: There's asbestos in the ceilings, legionnaires in the water fountains, athletes foot running rampant in the hallways.
2: Not to worry, Cameron. I fixed it. I'm not taking gym next year. Thanks. I've put myself in every one of Sloan's classes. Ferris, if she has any plans to graduate, she will not give you the time of day. We're late for homework.
0: Wear the Wrath of Rooney. In continuing with the whole forget-the-movie-ever-existed thing, Ferris Bueller is apparently a stalker in this. Or at least that's the implication, considering Ferris uses the latest in newfangled technology to rig it so that he's in the same classes as the girl who, just moments ago, he admitted he had not met yet. And the more I keep hearing all these contradictions compared to the movie, the more I want to drive an iron spike through my head. Unfortunately, I need every last remaining brain cell on the job as we now meet the televised version of Principal Rooney.
2: I'm warning you Ferris Bueller disciples, no more
0: Mr. Nice Guy.
2: How long has he been rambling?
0: Most of my adult life. Ladies and gentlemen, the surprise highlight of this morning's program,
1: the expulsion of Arthur Petrelli.
0: Ferris, don't do it.
2: Any last words? Three... Two. One. <laughs> you hey. oh, but
0: house. Eh, same difference. Troublemaking youth running afoul of authority figures. Tale as old as time as we now see just what kind of a person Ferris is to his fellow peers. Now, remember, in the movie that these people are now claiming does not exist in their world, Ferris's powers weren't exactly powers. They just showed a few scenes that implied that he could get kids out of summer school and is also so revered that the words Save Ferris are etched all over Chicago, the mere notion that he may be sick. Key word being implied, because we never actually get to see him do that in the movie. But, as a reminder... This is television. This is real. So now, with a full season of television to play with, maybe they can become a little more fast and loose with what this kid is actually capable of.
2: Thanks for getting me out of Spanish, Ferris. No problema. Huh? Ferris! No place to park my Harley this morning, man. Try the teacher's lot. Careful, Looney keeps a beady
0: eyeball on parking.
2: Ferris? Why do we always have macaroni and cheese on Thursday? How about linguine and pesto?
1: Brad?
0: It's pesto. But all the wheeling and dealing is going to have to wait, as Ferris finally meets the girl that he hasn't met yet, until now. He's still my heart. Morning, ladies. Hi, Ferris.
2: <laughs> That's
0: the one I was telling you about. Of course, since these two are just meeting each other for the first time, it's not going to be as easy as love at first sight. Yet kind of have to mildly tolerate them first.
2: Biology, life, but it takes a steady hand and a strong stomach to perform an autopsy. Now let's be serious. Have you ever seen anybody this cute, deveining a frog? Hey, by the way, I'm Ferris Bula. and you are? Driving is a lot like life, dangerous. You buckle in for a little security, then speed past all the other morons on the road, avoiding the pitfalls and potholes that lie ahead. Sorry about this little fender bender But according to state law You and I are supposed to exchange telephone numbers And have lunch At the beach (sighs) Uh,
0: Okay I'm no expert at flirting But It's pretty safe to say That these are the moves Of a sociopath (whistles) What the here ever happened to a simple hello Or a simpler handshake I mean, there's pouring on the charm, and yet there's using those charms to tie to a stick and beat somebody unconscious. But this is supposed to be a teen show, so you know we can't go that far. Yet. As we check in once again with future Initech engineer Tom Smakowski. Grace, I wanted number two pencils, not two pencils.
2: Oh, they make a lovely couple.
0: And if I'd only breed, I'd have a full box.
2: No, no, no. Ferris Bueller and Sloan Peterson. Where? Well, getting into that Toyota. Oh, what a feeling. Oh, 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 what a feeling to try
0: Toyota. And blatant product placement aside, we now check in with the co-star of future sketch comedy show, The Edge, who's sitting through a boring class being taught by... So the war
2: raged on in the Pacific Theater. Anyone know MacArthur's last words on
0: leaving Corregidor?
1: I'll be right back.
0: Close. (laughs) Hold it again. I know this was a TV adaptation of a movie, so I'm pretty certain that the budget for this show was not going to be all that big to begin with. But Ben Stein... AKA the boring economics teacher from the movie, who pretty much turned that appearance into a second career for himself.
1: Could not have been impossible to get for a 15 second cameo. This means that the show is so low tier that it was beneath even Ben Stein to do. And that's a damn low bar to jump over. I don't even know why this pisses me off the most in this show when there's already an ample supply of things to piss me off about it. Don't
2: just stand there. Call the police. My car was stolen. You're the principal. Do something.
0: Unauthorized absence from class. You know what that means?
2: Yeah, one more and it's a hat trick. (laughs)
0: Act 2 begins with Beach Boys music that's making me feel nostalgic for episode 14. But also with Ferris continuing to lead Sloane down the primrose sociopath. Do you have any dreams?
2: I want to be a ballet dancer. That's our secret. Well, go for it. What have you got to lose?
0: Your balance. What a wench. Is wench supposed to be a compliment? If so, a lot has changed in a four-year time span. And what if you need a favor someday from Ferris Bueller, then where will you be, huh, you heartless wench? Meanwhile, the Principal Rooney in this universe tries to do what the Principal Rooney in the movie universe did near the end, only with a lot more comedic undertones.
2: Ah! Off campus without permission. Attempted assault? Sayonara, Sonny. It's all a lie. Ferris took me to the beach. An honest voice shines through the wilderness. You and me, Bueller, are having a farewell party in my office. I get one phone call, sir. To who? Your mommy? My attorney.
0: (laughs) And while we wonder if part of the show's music score involves choking on a whistle, Ferris tries to charm his way out of trouble. And since the show is airing on NBC, what better way to do that than through... Okay, quick show of hands. Uh, How many of you out there remember a TV show called L.A. Law? Uh Uh-huh, okay. Now, how many of you remember the bald, idealistic lawyer from L.A. Law? So it's a deal. Deal. Well, let's go for a walk.
1: It's
2: nice to meet you, Mr. Brackman.
0: I'm not really Douglas Bracken.
2: Of course. Give my best to Roxanne. I pleaded you down to detention. Alan, I don't do detention. Ferris, it was the best I could do, not being a real lawyer. They don't know that. It's scary. All right. Well, thanks for coming down on such short notice. Thanks for the Billy Joel tickets, and uh, try and keep your nose
0: clean. And as hard as it is to believe, I really hate saying this, but this was actually a pretty good joke. Then again, considering what few jokes there have been so far in this, even an oasis in the middle of a desert can still quench one's thirst. So now, in a deviation from the original movie that's actually kind of refreshing to see, Ferris is being punished with detention, a punishment that he shares with his sister, the uncredited extra in Mac and Me. You know that scene where there's break dancers outside of McDonald's? She's in there somewhere, I promise but I digress.
2: Wait till mom finds out the truth about her perfect little baby boy. How are you going to worm your way out of this one?
0: I'm a professional
2: educator. Who do these kids think they're dealing with? Some kind of dummy?
1: Oh, I'm going to kill him.
0: Of course, Ferris gets out of it. And now he tries to further cement things with Sloan. Once you learn the ropes, you'll realize that Rooney's
2: act is all bark and no bite. Take my word for it. This is going to be a great year. I'm taking your advice. I'm going to go for it. Transferring Crosstown to performing arts. That was my idea? Thanks. You're welcome. Can I walk you home? I'd like that. i can carry your books, but
0: I have a bad back.
2: I'll carry yours. Well,
0: yeah. Nothing should ever come easy for anybody, not even those who constantly seek the easy way out. Why? Because charm can only get you so far in the real world. Or have we forgotten already that… This is television. This is real. As we return now to the star of the 1990 TV movie Camp Cucamonga, as her earlier report of her own car being stolen blows up in her face. (coughs) License and
1: registration, please.
2: It wasn't speeding.
1: Glad to hear it, but this vehicle's been reported stolen.
2: I made that call. I own the stolen car.
0: How ironic. Registration.
2: Quick, hold on. This is my brother's idea of a joke, right? I mean, you don't look like a cop. You should be taller with a big dopey mustache.
1: Let's continue this conversation at the station.
2: In your dreams, Flatfoot.
0: Well, look on the bright side. With her at the police station, I'm all but certain that she's going to bump into Charlie Sheen. Drugs? Thank you. No, I'm straight. I meant, are you in here for drugs?
2: Why are you here?
0: Drugs. But even we're not so lucky, as we wrap things up.
2: Hi, Mom. Hi, Dad. Hi, honey. Where have you been?
0: Helping out at the orphanage. But I still found time
2: to stop and get you these. Oh, Ferris. How was school? It was very educational. Have you seen Jeannie? I think she's involved in an extracurricular activity. That's not like her. What a difference a day makes. I'm gonna go upstairs and start my homework.
0: I'm real proud of you, son. Well, you know what they say about the (laughs) acorn. That's my boy. Okay, forget Patrick Bateman. I think Ferris is taking way too many pages from the Eddie Haskell playbook. Quite honestly, I think he's the bigger sociopath. And a fine choice they made too, yeah. Mr. Law. That is a handsome-looking jacket you wear. And with all of that in mind, how do we wrap up this crash course in sociopathic narcissism? There are two kinds of people in the world. The
2: Sloanes, who want to kiss you, and the Roonies, who want to kiss you off. Hey, about Sloan transferring, I have to work on that. But first, Jeannie. She's got the worst luck. Her bail just went up to $250,000 and parents say things like seems like only yesterday i was your age and you think impossible you were always old but everyone was once young and goofy and then time accelerates and there's worry and gray matter staring back at you in the mirror so remember if mom and dad give you a hard time it's only because they've been there and they do love you warts and all which reminds me i got to see a dermatologist hey see you next week and can you try dressing a little better Because if you're going to hang out with Ferris Bueller, you better show a little style.
1: Ferris Bueller!
0: I... I... Have... No... Words. I I, I just don't. Okay, that's not actually true. Of course I do, but... I'm just so flabbergasted over what I just saw, especially those last two minutes, that I'm going to need a minute before we get to the nine circles, and thankfully, I know how to spend that minute. Take it away, Matthew. Here's where Cameron goes berserk.
1: I'm ready. Limbo. Lust. Lust, Gluttony. Greed. Wrath. Heresy. Violence. Ard. Treachery.
0: Oh, uh, no, 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 no. No drumline for this one. Uh, I think we're gonna need something a little more appropriate here. There we go. If there's gonna be any consolation in this review, it's playing bad. Anyway. While I know deep down that this show isn't going to be breaking the meters around here, there is just something totally and wholly dissatisfying about what I just sat through. Ferris Bueller's Day Off was one of my all-time favorite movies back when I was alive, and that they would take something that many people looked up to, enjoyed, and admired for many years, and then it to a point where it would be an insult to call it a brundle creation. That they would take this symbol of a generation. This movie that's not only been quoted by heads of state and academic scholars the world over, but has also become one of a handful of movies that the Library of Congress has selected for permanent preservation. That they would take this movie and turn it into whatever the here I just had to sit through goes beyond any and all comprehension. And while I would normally ring the bell of wrath if the viewers in general had something to complain about, this is one of those times when my own anger towards it supersedes just how off the mark they were in what I generously call an adaptation. Comparing and contrasting between movie and TV show seems like an inevitability, but the TV show seemed to go out of its way so much to try to be not like the movie that it's a goddamned miracle that it lasted one episode, let alone the 13 that it would ultimately air during its one and only season in 1990. At the end of the day, though, there is no comparison. This Ferris Bueller is a fraud. Not just a fraud, but they also turn the original character from someone who not only got away with things, thanks in part to serendipity and happenstance, and also gave a damn about his closest friends, into just another upper-class brat who's only looking out for himself while trying to score the girl of his dreams through questionable and highly sociopathic forms of lust. And the fact that the show didn't even do a damn thing to honor the original source material makes it a shoe-in for heresy. But perhaps the most insulting thing about this show isn't even the fact that it couldn't live up to its own source material. The most insulting thing about this show is that it couldn't even defeat another TV show, which, shockingly, nobody batted an eye at when people noticed that it was more faithful to Ferris Bueller the movie than the Ferris Bueller TV show while still being its own thing. You know, I walked around all day thinking Parker
2: Lewis can't win. But with friends like these and a little bit of luck, I'm becoming convinced that maybe, just maybe, Parker Lewis can't
0: lose. The very same year that this alleged follow-up to Ferris Bueller took place, the Fox Network put on a show that was very similar to the original movie without it actually being based on it for legal purposes. That show was Parker Lewis Can't Lose. It only lasted three seasons, but the fact that more people flocked to see a deviation from the default says it all. That and this show was actually legitimately funny. And since there was one too many Ferrises on TV, The elimination of NBC's version in 1991 solved the unintended problem of gluttony. So much so that once it was revealed that NBC's Ferris couldn't be saved, the people at Parker Lewis couldn't resist kicking a show when it's down. When the show wrapped up its first season, guess who was sitting behind the scenes in both amusement and bemusement. So that's how they do it. Come on, Ferris, let's get out of here. (laughs) Proving in this case, not only is imitation a sincere form of flattery, but sometimes the imitation is actually better than the alternative.
1: Mr. Lewis? Mr. Randall? Mr. Phillips? Hello?
0: In spite of the fact that this show made me angry as I was watching it, I still gotta go by our own scale. Ferris Bueller the TV series earns five out of nine circles of tele After John Hughes passed away in 2009, another legend in the world of cinema offered his take on what he did for movies on the whole. As film critic Roger Ebert stated in part, quote, Hughes took teenagers seriously, and his films are distinctive for showing them as individuals with real hopes, ambitions, problems, and behavior kids are smart enough to know that most teenage movies are just exploiting them, he told me on the set of The Breakfast Club. They'll respond to a film about teenagers as people. His movies are about the beauty of just growing up. People forget that when you're 16, you're probably more serious than you'll ever be again. You think seriously about the big questions. End quote. In a sense, I'm kind of glad that Hughes stayed as far away from this bastardization of his best work as humanly possible. Because instead of this Ferris carrying on the same characteristics as movie Ferris, they gave us this faulty declaration. This is television. This is real. I don't think so, shitstain. This is the real Ferris Bueller. Bueller. The question isn't what are we going to do, the question is what aren't we going to do.
2: Bueller. Ferris Bueller, you're my hero. Bueller. They all adore him. They think he's a righteous dude. Bueller. Who do you love? Who do you
1: love? You love a car. Bueller. I said it before and I'll say it again. Life moves pretty fast. You don't stop and look
0: around once in a while. You could miss it. Next time on Telehell, if you can believe it, Ferris Bueller was not... I repeat, not the only John Hughes property to be given the small screen treatment in 1990. Buck is concerned about Tia's new boyfriend. I was craving
2: a corn dog and some really bad Chinese
0: food. You're lying. No, I'm not. Smell my breath. The all-new series premiere of Uncle Buck Monday. Until then. If it's not in telehell, it's not worth a damn. One last reminder that just by clicking on this episode, from now until May 15, we're going to donate $1 per download, up to $300 to the New York City chapter of the National Alliance on Mental Illness. You can support the cause even further by donating directly at naminycmetro.org. Or you can bid on something at our eBay page. Just look for the username, everythingmustgo8414. And those are all one word, by the way with 100% of non-shipping proceeds going towards NAMI. Those auctions end next Sunday, May 8th, and we hope to have a final tally by the time our next episode drops in two weeks. For now, though, thank you for tuning in, and we certainly hope you get to tune in again. Telehell was written, produced, edited, and narrated by me, Justin Hart. All clips used in this program are protected under the Fair Use Doctrine of the U.S. Copyright Act of 1976, and all clips used come courtesy of their respective companies and owners. Some of the music used in this program comes courtesy of YouTube and their audio library service. Telehell is a production of Horton Road and is distributed by Libsyn. Now that everybody is getting mysterious chemicals injected into their arms, that can only mean one thing. It's almost safe to socialize with people again. So why not get a head start on that and follow us on our social feeds, Twitter and Facebook, both at TeleHell Podcast. By the way, shows like these aren't cheap. Do what you can and can what you do at Patreon.com slash TeleHell Podcast.
1: You're still here?